Uh, Would you turn to Matthew 14 as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew? uh, We'll get to the text here in just a few uh, moments. Uh, It's been a uh, a wonderful week uh, for me this past week. I mean, obviously, uh, buying this building and God's provision for this uh, space uh, and getting to close on the building uh, over the last really four or so months and seeing the uh, the galvanizing work of God's uh, movement in us and through us and the generosity among uh, this church family to uh, be able to have this be our uh, first kind of official church home uh, was wonderful on uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, the, uh, the attempt, the wire fraud attempt on Wednesday wasn't as fun. Uh, that, that, that happened. That was wild. That was wild. Uh, God protected us uh, from that, uh, but man, the enemy does not want us to thrive. You know what? I heard uh, someone say this to me years ago, that if you're running along in the race and there's never uh, any um, you know, friction or tension or uh, anything in front of you, maybe, maybe you're not really moving against the, the kingdom of darkness. And so I just, you know, I just took that as a, uh, you know what? God's doing a special work here and the enemy is against us and uh, but that was wild, like a wire fraud on a church. But anyway, it happened. Uh, it happened. My basketball team won three games and finished our freshman season. That was awesome <laughs> this week. I mean, that happened. Uh, and let's just talk about the Super Bowl last week. I mean, the halftime show. I mean, seriously. I mean, we, last week we talked about, like, I talked about being like kids of the 80s. I was also a college student in the 90s. And... That halftime show was awesome. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? And the meme, the meme of the week was, was this. If you are a person that really loved the, the halftime show and it took you back to when you were younger, it's probably time for you to plan your colonoscopy. Yes, but that was, that was super sweet. That was super sweet. I mean, Kenny, Kenny, you know, up here in his Detroit swag today, I mean, you know, Eminem in the Super Bowl. That had to be great, right? Where's Kenny? Is he already gone? Is he already gone? Liked it? Snoop's outfit was the best. Yeah, amen to that. Hey, uh, all that to say, I'm glad to be here uh, with you today. Uh, Matthew 14 is our text. And let me give us just some context reminders of where we are landing today in the narrative of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew 12, uh, the opposition to Jesus and his message and the kingdom of heaven, uh, the opposition was growing rapidly to the degree of murder plots. So we saw that in Matthew 12. And Matthew 13, where we were last week, the rejection of Jesus in his own hometown, like in Nazareth, the rejection of Jesus as Messiah. And so there's this real, this movement of opposition uh, to Christ. When we get into the beginning of Matthew 14, today in the first 12 verses, it's the, the drama, this dramatic uh, story of the murder of John the Baptist. Uh, further revealing the growing antagonism towards Jesus and his disciples. I'm not going to read those verses, but here's some historical context about the 
about the scene at the beginning of Matthew 12, which is this dramatic scene of John the Baptist. We, we see Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the son of the infamous Herod the Great. And we know Herod the Great from when Jesus was born. And he is the Herod that ordered the murder of the Bethlehem infants when Jesus was born. It's interesting in Mark chapter six, Herod Antipas, the son again of Herod the Great, uh, esteemed John the Baptist, esteemed him as a holy man, uh, as a man of God. And in Mark six, it said that Herod Antipas actually liked to listen to John the Baptist. That is until John the Baptist called Herod Antipas to repent for his sexual sin with his sister-in-law, Herodias. And that reality, uh, Herodias left her husband, Herod Antipas' son, to be with Herod Antipas, and that's what John the Baptist was calling out. And she left her husband to be with Herod Antipas. And we know from the text today in John 14 uh, that Herodias hated John the Baptist to the degree that she brought in her own daughter in the murder plot against John the Baptist. Here's Uh, one reality of this dramatic scene at the beginning of Mark 14. Herod and Herodias placed sensuality before faithfulness and honesty. And that only leads to destruction and death every time. Matthew 14, 12, at the end of the story, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples came and took his body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. That is where I wanna pick up today. The murder of his cousin and dear friend, John the Baptist. The news was coming to Jesus. A murder plot was already plotted against Jesus. It actually went through with John the Baptist. They're rejecting Jesus in his hometown. And that is where I wanna pick up the scene today. It is an intense scene. It is an intense reality of the narrative of Jesus where we're picking up today. And the story today in the text is two really, really, really well-known stories of Jesus. And the reason why I wanted to spend some time here at the beginning and, and giving you the context is that I want us to take these really famous stories of Jesus and place them in the context of the growing opposition to the story, the message, the person of Jesus Christ. And the stories are the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water and really, really famous stories, right? But I don't know oftentimes if we connect those stories to John the Baptist and the murder plots against Jesus and the growing opposition. But that is all what is happening when these stories take place. These famous stories that we know so well uh, are happening in the context of this opposition and the growing rejection of Christ. Um, The reason why I wanna make sure that we're connecting these stories to the growing opposition is because we need to understand these stories through the lens of discipleship. To understand what Jesus was training the 12 to understand, know, believe, and then empowered to go and do after he would be gone from them. The Matthew 14 is about discipleship. It is about Jesus revealing himself more and more and more to the 12 that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. And they needed more convincing. 
these 12 disciples needed more convincing of the Messiah, that Jesus was Messiah, which would result in a growing confidence in him. The more we're convinced that Jesus is Messiah, the more our confidence grows in him. And they're, because their own persecution would be coming soon. Their own persecution would be coming soon and they needed an unshakable faith in Jesus. They needed a growing confidence in Jesus and they needed an unshakable faith in Jesus. Uh, anyone else in the room need that today? A growing confidence in Jesus and an unshakable faith in Jesus. I believe that is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us today in Matthew 14. Famous stories, but I believe the work of the Holy Spirit today is a growing confidence in Jesus Christ and an unshakable faith in him. I wanna start the story in Matthew 14, 13 to 21. So I'm just gonna read the story with us. Um, oh, it's not on yet. Uh, if you'll read these famous verses with me. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, when he heard what had happened to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So we are in the Sea of Galilee, the, uh, the, uh, the towns on the shore of Sea of Galilee, on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus withdrew on a boat away from the crowds uh, when he heard about his cousin, John the Baptist. And people hearing of this, you can see when you're, uh, the, the topography of the Sea of Galilee is that it rises up pretty quickly off the shore. And so if somebody goes out on a boat, you can see it. You can see actually all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So you can see the boat moving. And so the crowds are seeing this and they're just going, they're just following where Jesus's boat is going. He's going to retreat. He's going to a solitary place, but the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw this large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And as the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me. Bring what you have to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And then they ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, 5,000 men, besides women and children, probably around 20,000 people or more. 
famous story. Like I was, I was talking just, just out of curiosity with people this week, like, hey, when you think about like the most famous stories in the gospels around Jesus's life and his ministry, what are some, what are some stories that come to mind? And very, very often it's feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the most well-known story narratives of Jesus's life and ministry. And so we've read this story so many times Uh, I want us to connect the story to discipleship and I want us to connect it to the context of a growing opposition and persecution of Jesus and the disciples. Uh, One thought for me in this, when I read it and studied it again uh, this week, is how many of us would be irritated when you are weary, when you are weary and you are seeking solitude and rest in your own life and you retreat away to to a place to rest, you're weary, uh, you're, you're, you're tired, you're in grief, you're in a season of grief, and you retreat away to a solitary place only to be met by a demanding crowd of thousands. Like, how would, how would you feel about that situation? Like, I, um, I take a solitude day uh, once every month. It's a uh, in my own discipleship, in my own journey, and, and men who have discipled me in my life and ministry is to block off a day a month to take a day of solitude, to shut your phone down, shut your computer down, no appointments. You're not reading the Bible to, to prepare a message. You're reading the Bible to commune with the living God. And so I, I schedule these days into my calendar, a space to be still and quiet and quiet my soul. And it's, it's actually, it's hard, it's hard to do. It's hard to schedule it. It's even harder to commit to doing it. It's a challenge for me. And for me, it's the last Thursday of every month. It's this Thursday. Uh, I'm gonna have a solitude day. And if the day is nice, oftentimes what I will do is I'll, I'll go up to Horsetooth and I'll find, I'll go on the shoreline trail of Horsetooth and I'll just have my Bible and journal um, and I'll just, try to spend some time alone. And I was just thinking about that, like, I'm not sure how I would respond if I go up there on, I'm telling you where I'm going, right? I'm telling you where I'm going. Um, If you spread the word, a group text went out and there were a few hundred of you there. I'm just saying, I'm not sure how I would respond. I might be like, what are y'all doing here? Like, this is my solitude day, right? Like, I'm not sure how I would respond to that. I just want to feel like in, in my own humanity, what that would feel like for me. I think I would feel a little tense about it. Uh, what do we see Jesus do in his response? How does Jesus respond? Well, he responds in the way he always responds to anyone who is seeking after him. He responds with compassion and healing. The very first thing he does is he is compassionate and he brings healing to people who needed healing. And this is how Jesus responds to people when they have need and they are seeking after him. It is with compassion and healing. And I think this is an important discipleship lesson for the disciples to learn. That Jesus responds with compassion and healing to the needs of people when they are seeking after him. Scripture, this word compassion, I want to bring your attention to a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Scripture calls God the Father, the God of all comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. 
It's what we see in the text from the feeding of the 5,000. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God gives us all comfort. Like he is the God of all comfort, meaning seeking comfort anywhere else in our life is fleeting, I believe. That if we're going to seek comfort in anything else in our life, it's fleeting because God is the God of all comfort in our lives, of all compassion and comfort in our lives. All comfort comes from God. Jesus is the only true source of peace and joy and hope. Um, Jesus uh, says these words in John 16, just unpacking this further. Um, he calls the Holy Spirit, uh, this is the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, the parakletos or the paraclete. Uh, and it's translated, the, that's the Greek word. And the, the way it's translated in our English Bibles, when we think about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, comforter, uh, our advocate, our counselor, our helper. I mean, how Jesus keeps his promise to always be with us as the God of all comfort is that he gives us the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's always compassion. It's always comfort in our place of need in our lives. It's interesting in this Greek word, uh, one meaning of the Greek root word para is close beside, close beside is the root word for para, the Holy Spirit always beside, in a place of need. It's always compassion, close beside counselor, comforter, helper. And this is an important lesson, discipleship lesson for the disciples to understand when the needs of people come, the Spirit of God is all comfort, compassion, and healing for people. And sometimes uh, it's not the right timing. It's not the best timing. Uh, but Jesus is always available. The Holy Spirit is always available to minister in compassion and healing. For us, next lesson for the disciples in the story is that his compassion and his healing, first lesson is God responds with compassion and healing to the needs of people always. Second discipleship lesson in the story is this, his compassion and his healing would actually come through them. Because he says in verse 14, they do not need to go away. Their, their perspective is they're hungry. There's 20,000 people here. We're in this remote place. They've walked a long way from, they got to get back to the towns to get some food. And his response to them was, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Like next discipleship lesson. We're, we're a part of this movement. We're a part of this movement of compassion. It's what 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. We're conduits of the compassion of God. We're conduits of the healing and the love of God for people. And so he tells them, you give them something to eat. And what do they see in this story? It's what is so typical of our human condition when we see a, 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 a circumstance in our life uh, where the need is great and it is beyond our ability or capability to meet, what they see is their own lack. They see only in the natural. 
what they see is, what are you talking about? We have five loaves and two fish. Like what, what are we doing here? What they saw was the natural. They saw their limited resources to meet the need. And I just go, isn't that just like us sometimes? Instead of looking at Jesus, we stare, we stare at the hard circumstances and the lack and we get overwhelmed and we get overwhelmed. And then Jesus says, bring what you have and I will multiply it. Next discipleship lesson. Like first discipleship lesson in the story is I'm always responding with compassion and healing to the needs of people. Second Discipleship lesson is that we are in partnership with each other, that you are gonna operate on my behalf to bless people. Third discipleship lesson is this, bring what you have, even if you feel like it's limited or not enough, bring what you have to me and I will multiply it. I will multiply it. Verse 17, their perspective, we, we have here only five loaves and two fish. I mean, I, I only have limited time or I only have uh, this or that. I mean, I don't have what this person has or I don't have what that person have or we don't have what those people have. Like, what, what can we do here? And I think the story in this is bring what you have and trust God to multiply what we have to bless people. Think about this with me. Jesus thanked God for the perceived lack. The disciples saw five loaves and two fish and they saw it through the natural and it was lack and it was limited. And Jesus took what they saw as lack and he thanked God for it. He blessed and thanked the father for what they had. They saw it as lack and Jesus saw it as a bountiful blessing. And he does the miraculous work and all the disciples did was bring what they had. Jesus blessed it and the disciples gave it away. They were the conduits of the blessing. And how many, how many baskets were left over when we read the story? How many? 12. How many disciples? 12. You think, you think that's significant? Do you think the disciples were also hungry? Absolutely they were hungry. And Jesus gave them the 12, it was their lunch for the next day. It was like for their dinner that night and lunch for the next day. Like Jesus, when we operate in faith and we, we bring our limited resources to God and we trust him to use us, sometimes we think that if I'm just so busy um, giving uh, that, that, that I'm not gonna be fed or that I'm not gonna be able to be blessed as well. And I think in this story, it's so significant to go, he, it was 12 baskets full, full of food left over for the disciples. Compassion and provision for the thousands, yes. Compassion and healing for the disciples as well. Uh, Jesus doesn't overlook their needs as they serve. Um, there would be more multitudes there would be more multitudes with the need of God's compassion and healing in their ministry going forward. And Jesus's compassion and healing would have to come through them again. Bring what you have, I do the multiplying, and you will give the blessing away, and you will also be blessed in doing so. 
Verse 20 in our text in Matthew said the crowd was satisfied. Did you hear that? They ate the thousands of people. It said they ate and they were satisfied. If we, if we look at the same story, the same narrative in John chapter six, it's interesting because they didn't stay satisfied for long which is typical of big crowds. They just want more and they want more and they want more. In John chapter six, if you wanna go back and look at this later, what ended up happening after they were satisfied initially, initially they began to shout and demand by force that Jesus would become their king. Like they received the blessing of the feeding, right? The five loaves and two fish, the multiplication. They were all, they ate and they were satisfied, but it didn't last long. The very next thing that happened is they began to demand of Jesus. And they want him to be their king, their earthly king. And they began to do it by force. And it's interesting when we get into the next story that Jesus led the disciples to move away from the scene immediately. And we'll see it when we read the next passage, that word immediately, like as soon as they begin to demand by force that he become their earthly king, immediately he gets to 12 and he's like, get out of here. And I go, that's interesting for me. What is that about? And he told them to get into the boat and he sends them to the other side of the lake. He got them out of there immediately. And I wonder if it's this reason, perhaps in their discipleship, Matthew 14 is about discipleship to keep the disciples from being influenced by this nearsighted reaction of the people. To keep them away from a nearsighted reaction because it is the long game. It is supernatural heaven, eternity in their minds and hearts. And the nearsightedness of the people is we want Jesus to be our king right now. And Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he's the king of glory. And he got them out of there immediately, which is where the next passage takes us because of what they were demanding was not the mission of Christ. 22 to 33, Jesus walks on the water. Remember context, the boat Sea of Galilee, Jesus goes up to a higher place. You can see what's happening in the Sea of Galilee from the shore immediately, immediately, verse 22 Jesus made, made the disciples get into the boat. And I think the context from John 6 is what really helps us understand why it was so immediate. Made the disciples go get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. He finally got the respite. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. They couldn't get over to the other side. Jesus told them, go to the other side. And they're rowing and they're working to do what Jesus told them to do. Right, are you feeling the tension of that in the boat? Like, he told us to do this. We're trying to get there and the, and the winds are against us and the waves are against us. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Do you think they were frustrated in that boat? Do you think they were sweating, working hard, maybe having some, some maybe some, con, some inner conflict as they're like working together to get from one side to the other? Do you think so? Oh, 
You better believe so. They're people, right? They're people. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He's Peter's so brazen. He's so correct. I mean, Peter, gosh, what a baller. <laughs> tell me to come out on the water. Like, I want to come out on the water. Can I come out on the water? I mean, you got to respect the guy for asking the question. Come, come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Verse 30. But when he, when Peter saw the wind, he was, if you're reading with me, what does it say? He was afraid. When he saw what? When he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the circumstance, when he realized what was happening, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You know, it wasn't like this like prayer that was like this reverent, like most awesome and holy Lord, we beseech thee now on behalf of the, you know, it was, it was, it was not that. It was like how we would pray. Ah, save me. All right, that's all it was. It was a cry out, God, help me. God, help me. And immediately, immediately, because of compassion and healing, because that's what God does, discipleship lesson, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshiped him. And those who were in the boat worshiped. Those who were in the boat worshiped. Jesus, saying truly, they needed discipleship. They needed more convincing so that they would have a growing confidence. And in their growing confidence, they would have an unshakable faith. And they worshiped him and they said, truly, you are the son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country and people brought all their sick to him. And they begged him not to let the sick, and they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all, and all who touched him, and all who touched him were healed. Whew. Discipleship. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like in your life that the wind is against you? That no matter how hard you try or how hard you work, 
that the wind is just against you. And there's just no progress. And you're doing exactly what Jesus called you to do. Anyone else? Yeah? Jesus told those guys to get into that boat and go to the other side, and they did what he told them to do, and they couldn't get to the other side. Jesus speaking to us, moving us, telling us to move here or do this or do that, and we feel like we're operating in obedience, and we operate in obedience, and the wind stays against us. Anyone? Discipleship lesson in the story is so significant. Where is God in this? Like, why are the winds against me? Why is there no progress? I can't believe he left us out here like this. He's the one that told us to come here in the first place. Are y'all with me right now? What are we supposed to do with that? What's, what's the discipleship lesson here? Do you, do you think that Jesus knew that the wind and the waves were gonna come against that boat that night? I mean, he's the son of God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was watching the whole thing. Do you think there's a lesson to be learned? Do you think those disciples needed to understand some things in the midst of the struggle to have a confidence in Jesus and an unshakable faith in Jesus, even when the wind was against them? At what point in hardship do we turn from trusting God to doubting his goodness? At what point? Can my faith, can your, can your faith, can it withstand waves and wind against you? Can it hold? Or does our faith cave when circumstances of life are not going the, demand, the way we demand it to go? Jesus sees what's going on, what is, and what does he do? What's the discipleship lesson? Did Jesus abandon them? He came to them. He comes to those who need him. And he goes to them in a way, hear this, he goes to them in a way that gets their eyes off the natural and onto the supernatural. How does he come to them? Jesus could have gotten into a boat and gone out to them, right? He could have done that. How does he come to them? He walks on water. He comes to them in a supernatural way to get their eyes off the natural and on to the supernatural. And here's the message. And I hope that you never forget this, literally. He is walking on the water to them in the midst of the storm itself with a message that I hope you will never, ever forget when you're in the storm. And this is the message. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Like, I hope that simple message, I hope that you will never forget it in your storm, in your life. But God, the wind is against me and I'm trying to row. Where are you anyway? I can't believe you left me here. Take courage. It is I. Do not be 
afraid. I believe and I proclaim that Jesus never stops supernaturally coming to us. Disciples had to learn this. Would you agree? They had to learn this. They had to learn this lesson. Jesus, the God of all comfort, the God of all hope, the God of all peace, the God of all grace, never stops supernaturally coming to his disciples when we need him ever. And he comes to us in a supernatural way to help us get our eyes off of the natural and onto the supernatural so that we can have an unshakable confidence in this truth so that we can live as people who are not afraid of the storms that come into our lives. And why did the disciples need this lesson so desperately? Think about this with me. Because stronger waves were coming to them in their future. Much stronger waves were coming to them in the future. And here was the key for those 12 that, that night and the key for us today. When we look at our circumstances, when we focus only on our circumstances, we sink, we spin out. We get overwhelmed, discouraged, we get afraid. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, he empowers us to rise above the circumstances supernaturally, to have a peace that can't even be explained. How do we see this in the story? Well, Peter was walking on the water when his eyes were on Jesus. He was literally rising above the natural. And then in verse 30, it says this. But when he saw what? When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And what happened? He begins to sink. Here's the lesson for the disciples and for us. We can look at the wind or we can look at Jesus. In our discipleship, in our lives, in our stories, in our situations, we can look at the wind or we can look at Jesus. We can wallow in fear or we can trust what Jesus says and is this, take courage, take courage. It is I, it is I, do not be afraid. Listen, I know Peter was a work in progress. We know the story of Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed and he got afraid, right? He got afraid again and he began to sink. Peter's a work in progress, so am I. So golly, so, am I. so are you. So are we all a work in progress. And Jesus, what I love about the compassion of Jesus in the story, Jesus, in spite of Peter's doubt and and the disciples doubt and fear and struggling faith, he did not let them seek. In spite of their weak faith, why do you doubt? Why do you have little faith? He did not leave them there. He didn't leave them there. And these hard experiences, though difficult, though difficult, had developed a resolute trust and confidence in Jesus. These hard circumstances, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, these hard experiences, and they were hard, they were difficult, they helped develop a resolute trust and confidence 
in Jesus. How do I know that? Turn over with me if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter four, and we'll close here this morning. This is, this is what happens in discipleship. When we have a growing confidence in Jesus and in his words to us. This is after the cross. This is after the resurrection. Acts chapter one, Jesus had ascended to heaven. He was no longer physically with them, but they had been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in them. The Holy Spirit was close beside. Comforter, counselor, helper, advocate. And Peter and John, at the beginning of Acts chapter four, they were seized by the same people that literally executed Jesus. They were seized for proclaiming Jesus and they were brought before the same men that had killed Jesus. The winds and the waves in this story were totally against them. And certainly there was an opportunity for them to be afraid and to doubt the presence of God and the goodness of God. But their discipleship, that's what I want you to get in the story, their discipleship from the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water and other discipleship lessons that they have learned uh, with Christ in their three years with Christ, it took full effect in this moment. And I wanna read verses seven to 13. This is the result of their discipleship taking full effect. Here's what happened. They had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the counselor, comforter, helper, advocate, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that, that this man stands before you healed. He is, he, Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, and when they saw the courage, take courage. Remember? Remember the lesson? Remember the story? Sea of Galilee, walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost. What's the message? Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Discipleship taking its full effect. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been, what does it say? Somebody tell me, had been with, with Jesus, with him. They were with Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus multiplied their lack and empowered them to give food to the thousands. They were with Jesus on the sea in the middle of the night when Jesus called them to see beyond the natural to the supernatural. Their discipleship developed a growing confidence 
in Jesus when what, what they tended to think before when they saw a lack, now they just saw the abundance of heaven and the courage that they had in the Holy Spirit. And it moved them to an unshakable faith when they faced more waves and wind because they had been with him. A disciple is someone who goes with Jesus. They follow where Jesus is going. They listen to what Jesus says and they learn to submit their way to the way of Jesus. That's a disciple. The whole, by the way, the whole mission of Jesus is making disciples. That's the great commission in Matthew 28. And Jesus said this about disciples, people who go with him, who trust him, who submit their way to his way. This is what he said. If you're a disciple, unless you pick up your cross, a cross is a sign of self-sacrifice and it is a sign of grace, the radical grace of God in Jesus. There's no greater sign than the cross of Calvary for us to see the unmerited favor of God, for Jesus to sacrifice his life for our life so that we could be forgiven and set free. Take up your cross, this symbol of sacrifice, and this symbol of grace, and he says, and do what? And follow me, be with me and be my disciple. I believe that all of us need more confidence in Jesus, who he is, and what he has proclaimed to us so that we will have an unshakable faith when you and I are in the middle of the night and all that we see around us is the waves and the wind. And I hope and pray in that moment that there will be something in your heart, inside of you, and it would be this, this word to you, son, daughter, it's me, it's I. Take courage now, take courage right now. Take it right now. Do not be afraid, I am with you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I, I long for this kind of faith and I know, and I know in my own life and story that when the waves and wind are against me, my tendency in my flesh and in my nearsightedness is to doubt and to struggle and to take my eyes off of you and onto my circumstances and I sink. And Lord, help us have a resolute faith to keep our eyes on you always to rise above our circumstances in a supernatural way, that what we hold, the peace of God, the comfort of God, the grace of God, the love of God in us, reminding us, the Holy Spirit reminding us always that we are not alone and that he is with us and that we have victory in Jesus. Our Savior forever. And we worship you now, Lord. We wanna, we wanna lift our eyes to heaven now as we sing and worship. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.